Welcome to Episode 3 of Streams and Variations, the podcast where writing evolves. In this show, you will first hear a monologue based on a prompt. That monologue has then been passed on to a songwriter who has written a song inspired by the monologue. That song is then passed on to a writer who writes a monologue based on that song, then on to another songwriter, and so on. Like a game of broken telephone, each writer has only seen the work that immediately precedes their own. What elements of each piece will carry through? What recurring ideas and themes will we see? What changes will arise from the mind of each new artist? Let's find out. My name is Jamie Johnson, and I'll be your host. Writing is a very solitary pursuit. For most writers, it's about sitting alone and thinking, getting your mind to slowly conceive a whole string of images and ideas that are connected to create a picture or story that you want to tell. But what happens when you're asked to create something based on the work of somebody else? How does a writer's mind then conceive and connect some other writer's images with their own? That's what we've asked the writers in this stream to do. For this, our third stream, we've brought together the talents of six writers. All of these writers were placed on very strict deadlines. Each piece you will hear was written over the course of one week. Each piece was directly inspired by the previous piece and will itself directly inspire the following piece. Listen closely and pay attention to the ideas. See what images are present and repeated, what thoughts fade away and then show up again. See how the story evolves. We will also be releasing talkbacks for each episode as part of this season. These talkbacks will include discussions between myself and other artists, where we will dive deeper into the writing process and how each piece was perceived. What elements can be seen in each piece from the episode? What ideas did each artist consciously carry forward? What was subconsciously carried through? Each full episode and talkback will be available through this podcast, so please subscribe through your preferred service. And if you like what you hear... Maybe give us a five-star review so we can make more stories based on songs based on stories. This episode contains monologues written by Tim Cadney, Natalie Frisia, and Michael Ross Albert. These monologues were performed by Martin Boat, Jada Rifkin, and Denise Norman. And it contains songs written and performed by Mike Matzi, Jackson Saib with Daniela Rendon, and Tahira Vejdani. So sit back, listen intently, and let these artists carry you through this stream and its variations. Monologue 1. There's Something Wrong with the World. Written by Tim Cadney. Read by Martin Boat. Day 1. Look at out the window, you, you would think it's normal. Nothing like the news is painting. Strokes of terror, swashes of alarm. Just people in masks. Businesses slowly shutting down. Then there's all this talk about real news versus fake news. It's the news. They report on what's happening in a world. They see it as they want to see it, and we see it as we want to see it. I have to admit... I have the news on every morning. It's become a habit, like brushing my teeth. 
You know, it's one of the first things I do when I wake up, even before brushing my teeth. I turn on the telly in the news. Not a healthy habit, they say. They say happiness can be negatively impacted by the news. There was a study on it. The study said those that were happier in life did not watch the news. I was never really a fan of the news. It was actually my wife, well, my ex-wife now. She was the one that put it on every morning. Actually, she would ask me to put it on. Every morning without fail, she would say, Be a darling and turn on the telly news, please. And I did. I aimed to please. Eventually, it came to a point where she didn't even have to ask. I'd already have it on. Did I mention I wasn't a fan of the news before Sylvie, my wife, ex-wife, never did like the news. I think it's because when I was a boy, I was in the papers. You see, I was recognized for finding a dead body in a local river. A man said he must have slipped and hit his head on a rock. When I found him, he was lying face down on the water, slightly rocking back and forth in the river current. I remember staring at him. Watching him just sway in the water seemed almost peaceful. I ran to the nearest telephone box to get a call for help. The paper called me a hero. <laughs> ah, it doesn't seem that bad outside. <clears throat> well, never trust the news. Day 10. I went two days without putting the news on. Felt good, I must say. No distraction. I was able to catch up on a magazine subscription I said yes to in a whim. Well, more of a frustration. Foolishly answered the phone when I didn't recognize the number. Sold me three magazines. There was a deal, he said. One magazine I've yet to read. Guns and Ammo. I'm not sure where I chose it in the first place. Something new? I don't know much about guns. But a lot more to it than I thought. I actually liked the magazines a lot. Then, without thinking, after two days, I put on the news. Takes more than 48 hours to form a new habit, I guess. There it was again. End of the world as we know it. I have to admit, it has started to look worse outside. I was observing my neighbor. He looked ghastly, he did. He was wandering aimlessly around his front yard and stopped, looking so pale. He proceeded to vomit all over his garden. I don't know why I kept watching. Maybe because it was nice to see him suffer. <laughs> we never did get along. Well, ever since he cut down a tree that was clearly on my property. He said it blocked his son. I said it blocked him. <laughs> I found that funny. <laughs> Uh, Sylvie didn't. I wasn't pleased that she took his side about the tree. I was furious. I said, if you ever cut down that tree, I will get a gun and shoot you. Uh, maybe that's why I got the subscription to Guns and Ammo, to let him know I was serious. <laughs> My uncle used to have a collection of rifles. He was a bit of a hunter. Always asked if I would like to shoot one. My father, his brother, wouldn't allow it. My father was, well, a bit fearful. Very superstitious. Considered himself an eschatologist. Wouldn't he be pleased to see the world now? Shame. All that studying, believing it to be true. 
being laughed at for talking about the end of the world at a pub. Who's laughing now, Dad? <laughs> he did teach me his idea of survival. In case, well, you know. Funny, all that fear he had about how the world would end and never wanted to touch a gun. You're not me. I got myself a gun. Maybe I was inspired by the magazine. <laughs> I was surprised it only took 72 hours to get it. I thought it would be longer. I bought a Colt 45. Dirty Harry type gun. Feels good in your hand. Powerful. I took one test shot in the backyard. The recoil on it was surprising. Knocked me on my buttocks. <laughs> Still made me smile. I felt I was a good student to my father. Four days ago, I got a one-ton truck and filled it with everything I needed in mass quantity. Food, bottled water, batteries, lights, more essentials. I also went to the lumber store too. Bought some sheets of wood. I guess I felt it was maybe this was one of the last times I would venture out for a while. It looks like my neighbor is coming over here. Looks kind of... Day 11. Never was much of a drinker. My wife, my ex-wife, would always say it changed me. She said I became a different person. More open would speak my mind. Perhaps I just became the real me, or she just didn't like what I had to say about her. <laughs> I mean, who's to say, really? Everything's different now. Why worry? Fuck it! That's why I'm having an Irish whiskey at 10 a.m. Yesterday, I shot my neighbor dead. He changed, let me tell you. He broke my favorite window. I can't really ask him to pay for it, can I? Well, considering. Didn't want to do it, but it had to be done. I used the sheets of wood to board up the window. I can't have it broken like that now, can I? I must say... It's kind of nice not being able to see the outside. Feels more protected. It's a good thing I bought that lumber. Thanks again, Dad. Day 32. 20 days and no news. It feels good. I had help that it just stopped. I do feel that I could have stopped watching without help, though. Without the news, I've managed to read eight books I've always intended to read, but never had the time. Too busy doing... Well, not sure anymore. What was I too busy doing that I couldn't read a bloody book? Don't have much on my plate now, do I? I have to say, it's been extremely hard to concentrate with all of that noise. How did it happen, you ask? I broke some glasses. It happened when the lights went out. What a coincidence, I tell you. Just as I was opening the cupboard and reaching for a glass, the lights went out. I turned quickly and knocked three glasses off the shelf. I'm sure you were able to hear the smashing down the block. It's been like this for days now. But I'm not worried. Why? Well, you see, I will not become the man I found in the river. He was not equipped. I will not become like my father. Focused on the end, but too afraid to do anything about it. I've outlasted my wife. Sorry, my ex-wife. I've outlasted my neighbor, too. <laughs> the zombie apocalypse won't get me. 
You know why? Because I'm bloody prepared. Fuck zombies. Did I mention I got a new shotgun now? Supposed to be one of the best according to June's issue of Guns and Ammo. I have to say, there's something wrong in the world, but in a way, it's almost better, don't you think? I think so. I really do. Song 1. Newsprint Love. Written and performed by Mike Matze.
Monologue 2. What's in Your Dungeon? Written by Natalie Frigia. Read by Jada Rifkin. So, that wasn't a date. That was an eternity. It was an exercise in torture, wrapped up in tenuous human connection. A leeching attempt to understand the other, when the other is a mansplaining piece of shit. I don't hate men. I hate the student-teacher barrier that permeates male-female interactions and turns them into something cloyingly paternalistic and thanks but no thanks, I can cut my own meat, so to speak. I don't need you spoon-feeding me politics with devil's advocates and harsh truths and not all men because hashtag you too too when that's not even the point. And I know they say don't talk about politics on the first date, but goddamn, do I ever want to know straight up if the man in front of me with the dark hair and the eyes that go for miles and the book of poetry in his back pocket is also a closet woman-hating transphobic racist big C conservative before I get to attach, you know? I mean, keep some mystery, but show me your dungeon. Show me your politically incorrect and your knowledge gaps. Show me the things you say to the friends who have known you so long. It would just be inconvenient for them to dump you and break a new person in. Show me the shit you say inside your mind when a woman tells you hashtag anything, and if that begins with any variation on well, actually, then show me the fucking door. I should be happy. 
I should be skipping down the streets knowing I've left you to some other but the fact that you exist in the corners of my mind and the future tales of dating horrors I'll tell over some coffee date commiseration with the one and only other single person I know. The world got married last year, didn't you hear? That is in itself infuriating. The man asked what I do for a living, and I said, that's a long story. And it is, and it was, and it's kind of not the kind of thing I want to get into on a first date because my dungeons need some cleaning too, so sue me. But he said, Ah, oh, come on. And so, oh well, dive in. I worked at a university. Worked. Past tense. I don't work there right now. I mean, I'm still enrolled, I'm just not teaching. Oh, why? Why? Why, that's a long story, why? We got time. Sure. Okay. Why not? My boss asked me to the movies. I don't remember what, but it sounded boring, and anyway, I was working, so I said no. My boss asked me to a concert, but loud, crowded rooms are my literal nightmare, and anyway, I was working, so I said no. My boss asked me to church on Sunday, and by now I was sensing a pattern. My bullshit detector might be working overdrive, but I feel like profs and their TAs don't, you know, hang. Especially at church. Especially when one of them is a raging atheist who openly compares the Bible to Aesop's fables. Hi, that's me. I also talk religion on the first date, and anyway, I was working, so I said no. And then... Like the prof ripped himself straight from the pages of a Sunday night at the movies cautionary tale of how not to blow up your fucking life, he gave me a shoulder massage. A shoulder massage. Because I work so much and look tense. And just what is an eighth year PhD supposed to do when she's too fucking smart to think this is about the knot in her shoulders? Which just as a friendly FYI here for anyone thinking to try this move at home, Massage therapists are literal gods on earth. They are kinesiology incarnate. They are human tiger bomb. If you were to tell me they don't massage but command injuries to heal themselves, I would believe you. I would believe anything you tell me, and I have never met a single one who laid a hand without asking first. So I tell him I have to get to work. But also on the way out the door. Don't touch me. I fumble together an excuse about a lingering shoulder issue, incidentally not a lie, and I'll see him at our next meeting. How about a cafe down the road, rather than your office? We'll do brunch. There. In public. Thanks. And the next three meetings in a row come and go, and the professor doesn't show. My job comes up for review, but that happens every year, and this time, I don't get the job. This year... The job, my job, the job I have been entitled to based on seniority, goes to someone with more experience in the field. So I do a little digging, because if someone in this department is already more experienced than I am, when the full syllabus is in my dissertation bibliography, then that's my new best friend. But wouldn't you know it? It's a master's student. A beautiful brunette just dipping her toes in academia testing the waters, figuring out her early 20-something life. 
She's never taught before, but is so excited to finally leave Starbucks behind and is so grateful to her mentor, the goddamn fucking professor, for getting her the job. That's a Facebook status, by the way. You don't have to be a creep to find these things out. Just have a little, you know, search bar action. So, I petition the department. Of course, I petition the department, and right away they tell me, go easy. We've got a good relationship going, and accusing a beloved professor of sexual harassment is a big misstep if it didn't happen. But didn't it? I don't know. Did it? Or are you just jealous about the job? Are you actually more qualified? Are you sure? Yeah, but really. You've spent eight years writing a dissertation. Maybe you're a little tired. You're probably tired. Go home and think it over. So I'm thinking it over for a few months now. Not like the job's going anywhere. Do you know what you're going to do? Uh, eventually charge him with sexual harassment because he's a 50-some-year-old tenured man who should know better than to pressure social interactions in exchange for continued employment. And even if that wasn't his intention, the optics fucking suck. I think men get scapegoated a lot by unsuccessful women. Excuse me? Think about it. He wants to hire the best? Maybe you're not the best. Maybe you read too much into polite invitations and now you're trying to ruin his career. I hardly think his career is ruined, but you don't understand. When a man is threatened, when someone's trying to drag his name through the newsprint and he could lose his job. You should be really careful with accusations like that. I mean, it's not like you were raped. Well, bless my lucky stars. There it is. His deep, idiot dark. Where I don't care how hot this coffee still is, I'm going to chug it for the caffeine and hit the road because it's already been an eternity and anyway, I have to work. Song 2, Work to be Done Written by Jackson Saib Performed by Daniela Rendon and Jackson Saib The lesson learned and set aside The pages turned with ink undried Coalesce as a mess in the shape of a girl It's a tired, hapless frame Well admired, good at the game But obsessed with the stress she invented herself All the deadlines and the greetings And the headlines and the meetings And the work to be done With the packing and the moving And the stacking and approving Of the work to be done There's a metric and a meter An electric sort of leader To the work to be done Everything passes her by The morning dew The scenic route The mountain view Without a doubt Where she goes, God knows She doesn't look around Pinpoint lock and lock them out Rider's block just to block it out 
If you're smart, here's the part where she missed out on you. With commissions and a law degree, partitions up, she saw that she had work to be done. Christmas Eve and burning out, she set to leave, but not without the work to be done. Unrefined and half asleep, she's out of mind and buried deep in work to be done. She just passed you by. Now I'm a shallow, prideful mess, so you don't have to hear me out. And I've been talking far too long, it's getting cold. But Henry, please don't pass me by. Just open the door. If you have it in your heart to hear a shallow, prideful mess, say she's sorry. Then I'm sorry. But the deadlines and the greetings and the headlines and the meetings and the work to be done. It's my work to be done. And I can't pass it by. A quiet street. A silent door, familiar heat, I've been here before. Where I go, I know, I go it alone. Monologue 3. Francis Visits Sam in the Hospital. Written by Michael Ross Albert. Read by Denise Norman. You're awake. Oh, don't try to talk. The doctor told me it would take some getting used to talking with the... um, and eating, too, he says. Six to eight weeks these things have to stay on. You're on a liquid diet, Huckleberry. Ooh, you're rolling your eyes. If looks could kill, at least I know you can understand what I'm saying. You used to hate that when you were however old you were. How many times did I hear, Mom, I told you not to call me Huckleberry. Shoot, let me just. I'm just telling Cynthia I can't talk now. Back online in, what shall we say, half an hour? Back online in 30. 
there. No interruptions. I promise. It was a real bitch to get in here, let me tell you. With everything that's... And you're an adult now, aren't you? That means I don't get a say anymore in what happens to you. Legally. For example, if you were unconscious, which you were for three days now, and they wanted to administer a drug that you had a severe allergy to, uh, this is all hypothetical, and even if your mother was in the building, was in the lobby just outside those doors, demanding to be admitted into your room, that's tough shit. You're over 18, and you're on your own. If you were allergic to Toradol, you would have been dead by now. Or you would have just broken out in hives, but either way, I'd feel terrible. And you'd be pretty embarrassed yourself. Do you want some water? Or... You can nod or shake your head. Does it hurt to shake your... Oh. My poor baby. You know what I would love? I would love it if this story wasn't overworked mother too focused on career to realize her son is a danger to himself and other people. That's what I would love. Okay, roll your eyes all you want. Yeah, give me the finger all you want, Huckleberry, right back at ya. There, that's for you too. I didn't come here to fight with you. I don't like unfair fights. And with your jaw wired shut and your hands cuffed to the bed, you're no match for me. Because I'm excellent at fighting. I've fought my whole life to get where I am, starting at a time where women didn't get to be in a position like mine. Back then, women got to stay home and pack peanut butter sandwiches and make sure their kids weren't spending all day watching YouTube videos and playing video games with neo-Nazis and God knows what else you do all day. It's not like you're looking for a job. And why should you? When I've done everything for you. A roof over your head, a car to go to your little meetings or rallies or race riots or whatever your redneck friends decide to... Fuck. Hi, Cynthia. That's fine. I have a minute. Just tell him the plaintiff will be filing an injunction because this last incident proves a pattern of behavior that qualifies as harassment. They've been engaging in active disorderly conduct and my client fears for the safety of her children. 
Okay, well, if he wants to appeal the motion, he'll need to... Uh-huh. Cynthia, can you... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask if you could call and have Murphy call me in the morning instead so that we can talk through all of this when I'm not so... Ten minutes should do it phone or Zoom or whatever works for him, okay? Thanks, Cynthia. Work. Apologies. But some people deserve to face the full consequence of their actions. Is this who you are? My little Huckleberry, is this really the person you've become? You're a nice suburban boy. These people are... I guess I really don't know who they are. So what's the appeal? Are you so hard done by, so angry that you'd... that you'd actually go to one of these rallies and... I mean, you attacked strangers, and for what? When the police told me how you'd been hurt, I thought you were part of the peaceful protest. I never would have dreamed. Which, I guess, makes me sound like a real idiot. Everything passes me by. I didn't even notice. I've had three days to process everything, and I still just can't believe. I mean, I looked at some of those videos you've been watching, and... My God, do you really believe this shit? I didn't raise you to hate. If you could talk, this is what you'd say. You didn't raise me at all, Mom. Leave me the fuck alone, Mom. That's what you're good at. And you'd be right. One night, some winter night around Christmas, just after you were born, I stood outside the front door of our house. We lived on Beecroft then. And I was pleading with your dad to let me give everything another go. I shouldn't have. Hmm. I probably shouldn't have gone back to work so fast. You were only a few months old. And... I was driven to be something more than your mom. Something more than Henry's wife. I wanted the chance to just be me, whoever I was becoming. And that person I was becoming was going to be somebody damn impressive. I shouldn't have gone back to work as soon as I did. 
and I was juggling a million and one things, trying to keep my head up on straight and catch up with the work that had been piling up. And the nanny we'd hired told me that she had to leave early that day. And I told her I'd be home by 2.30. I just wasn't. I forgot. There's no excuse for what she... I mean, she never should have... You trust these people to come into your home and look after your most precious... I mean, that's criminal negligence. And you better believe I made sure that woman was never allowed to work with children again. But you were... alone. Until your dad got back from work. And your dad didn't want to let me back in the house. For your protection. He said I was a negligent mother. And that if I didn't stop obsessing over work and start paying attention to this family, I'd be the death of you. Fuck him, right? make the mother of his child stand out in the cold, begging to come back inside? Fuck him. When did he ever take care of you, huh? How come he couldn't look for a nanny, or take time off work, or phone his son to say, Hey, Sam, just checking you're not a neo-Nazi now. Why is it all my fault? I've devoted my life to bringing criminals to justice. And because of that, everything has passed me by. Even the person you've become. I guess I'm blind. But I'm not responsible. Not for this. Cynthia. Zoom meeting with Murphy confirmed for 8.30 tomorrow morning. Don't make me the reason you're here. I never forgot about you after that day. But I can't fight for you anymore. You're an adult now, Huckleberry. You're on your own. Like mother, like... Song 3, Proud Boys Rally, written and performed by Tahiro Vejdani. Here at the Proud Boys Rally, we stand in arms today. To save our streets from protest, we'll join in the crusade. Join in the parade We're not afraid We're not afraid We're gonna take our freedoms back 
was standing proud, standing back and standing bye-bye-bye. We'll make America great again, come join in our refrain. Here at the Proud Boys Rally, your brothers got your back. Initiation's easy, we wear yellow and wear black. Make sure you don't wear cargo shorts, no flip-flops and no wings. Aladdin is a theme song, now drop and do some planks. We're not afraid, we're not afraid, we're gonna take off Standing proud, standing back and standing bye-bye-bye We'll make America great again, come join in our refrain They may say that we're insane That there's not much in our brain They'll say that we're not smart enough A little too wide and tough But look who's in the White House representing us You may think that we're a frat house And don't know why we're here Other than to wave our guns And drink a lot of beer Mothers aren't so proud of us, but that's okay, we're clear. Our brothers will take care of us and fill us with good cheer. We'll sway our flames, we'll hold our arms, we'll take our freedoms back, and we're Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank Tim Cadney, Natalie Frisia, Michael Ross-Albert, Mike Matsi, Jackson Saib, and Tahiri Vejdani for creating pieces for this episode. And thank you to Martin Boat, Jada Rifkin, and Denise Norman for their performances. For more information about our artists, visit our website at streamsandvariations.com. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review so we can be seen and subscribe to the podcast on our website or on your preferred platform. You can find us at Streams and Variations on Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, our handle is at VariationsPod. Let us know what you think by dropping us a comment or questions by email at streamsandvariationspodcast at gmail.com. Our next episode is the third in our talkback series where we discuss this writing stream with writer Tim Cadney and songwriter Jackson Seib. Come visit with us again and hear more songs based on stories based on songs. We look forward to you dropping in and giving us a listen. Bye for now.